Have you ever wished that you could develop and mature quickly as a Christian, having a desire to go from one place to another and, and develop the way the Lord uh, has so ordained? I remember when I was a relatively young Christian, I was thrown into a situation in, in the church years ago that I would say I was way, 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 way over my head as far as the natural goes, but the Lord had put me in a position that I really needed to depend upon Him, and those places many times we're not too fond of because we always take the thought that, or most of the time take the, the thought and opinion of, I can't do this, I can't do that, and you know, I'm not capable, and, and all that, rather than resting in God and, and seeing Him, looking at Him, and allowing Him to work in us. Now, if your ability and my ability in the natural was what really mattered and counted as far as the work of God, then why would we need the Lord? So it's not about my being in my comfort zone all the time or, you know, being where we want to be, doing what we want to do, doing what we think we're capable of or what we think we may not be capable of. And as I said, that if we can do things on our own, and that, that means anything as far as a Christian, then why do we need the Lord? So the Lord will bring us into situations many times where we're overwhelmed, we can't do it, we know that we don't have the ability, and we look to Him, say if we, if we turn inner, looking at the inner man and saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, then for the most part we will never progress at all. But if we look away from all the I can't or I won't and all that and look to the Lord, he'll bring us into situations that, that we can't do it in the natural. We don't have the ability. We don't have what we need as far as our gifts and abilities go. When we come into these places, the Lord will grace us to have something occur within us that we will be able to do something and accomplish something that is far beyond us. And as I said, I was placed in a position years ago that I was way over my head as far as the natural man goes. But I looked to the Lord, and somehow the Lord was able to do something in my life. And I, I would have to say in a short period of time there was quite a bit of growth and then, in my life, then I leveled off. And I often wondered, I said, and you might have wondered this yourself, I said, Lord, wouldn't it be nice to go from being a babe in Christ to someone who is mature in Christ very quickly? But that normally doesn't happen. I don't know, I don't believe it does. The scripture doesn't teach that. And we are to grow. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, 
But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And then down in verse 48, we're going to read these in a minute, but verse 48 he talks about, uh, the King James says, be ye, uh, be ye perfect. The New King James says it a little different, and we'll get to that in a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about being perfect. And I've looked at this before, and it's a, a thing that I see in the church that people read some of these words in the Bible, and they'll take an English definition and, and apply that to the scripture when that's not always accurate. For example, the word perfect in English means without fault or shortcomings, and none of us here are without fault or shortcomings. But when you look at the Greek word, the Greek word has various meanings to be, means to be complete, some of the scriptures. Um, the word actually for perfect in the Greek is teleos. And of course, with many words, you have to look at the context. The context determines the meaning of the word there. And many times it's used to, to mean to bring something to a finish, to complete something, to bring something to the end. And in many cases in the New Testament, the word teleos is referring to growth, maturity, and becoming an adult. So we are not perfect as far as being without faults or shortcomings, but we can move along the line in our Christian walk to be teleos or to be mature and be full grown. Now, in Matthew 5 here, Let's read the verse again, verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Now, that's not a natural thing, to love your enemies. Does anybody have an enemy? Maybe somebody that you worked with, and it's like they're always like a big thorn in your side. And, you know, you look at the situation, you look at some of the things they do or some of the things they say, and it makes you wonder, you know, why you've never done anything to this person at all but yet their reaction to you, their, um, the things that they do around you and so forth, uh, really puts the pressure on you and your Christianity. And so the Lord ordains people like that to come into our life so that in spirit they are our enemies and we have to have the right Heart attitude. So you cannot love your enemy if your heart attitude is incorrect. You can say it with your mouth and you can act Christian-like, but I'm talking about the love of Jesus Christ coming out from you with no animosity, with where you're not holding anything against the individual. And no matter what they do, even if it's things that intentionally are meant to irritate you, that you're above that. So Jesus says, love your enemies. That, and I didn't look this up, but it's probably a command. So in order to do that, he's going to have to grace you and I. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. King James renders this word uh, children, but it's not that word, it's the word sons, uios, it's a different word. 
It means sons. And what it's talking about here is that there is to be a character manifestation out from the Christian. So, so you're loving your enemies and those that are, are using you spitefully. You know, you are in spirit where the Lord wants you to be. And he says that, um, that you may be sons uh, of your father. So if you follow on down here, we'll go down to verse 48. Therefore you shall be. Now this is how the King James, the New King James renders this, and it's the correct inflection for the verb. Therefore you shall be perfect. Not that you are perfect. Be ye perfect now, present tense. But no, this is a future tense here. The word be is future tense. Therefore you shall be perfect, or therefore you shall be mature, or uh, you will have virtues, or you shall be developed in character. Now this is talking about a process. You know, we are at a certain point, at a certain time, for example, today. This is our spiritual development, and the Lord brings us along down the line toward this perfection, or I don't like using that word, uh, toward maturity. And maturity is meaning that he has developed something within you of the character of Christ so that in these different situations, uh, when you're around certain people that the Lord brings your way, that they aren't, so to speak, getting your goat because you don't have a goat. Now, we all go through this where people get your goat, and that's the old phrase. But we are to develop to a place where in the same situation, because the Lord has done something in us, that person or individuals cannot get our goat any longer because we don't have them. And so he's talking about that you may become sons. There's a development in character, see. Okay? Now, this particular thing here, uh, maturity, perfection, was upon the heart of Paul. I'm going to show you that in Colossians chapter 1. When I looked through the scripture, I found quite a few places uh, where the word is used. And of course, there, um, and I'll show you this in a minute, there are places where the word is used in a different form. So it can be used in a verb form, it can be used in a noun form. Uh, it can be used in the context of bringing something to completion or maturity or so forth. There, there's differences, new, different nuances of the word. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 28. Uh, let's go back to 27. To them God willed to make known... What are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that for the purpose of Paul's doing that, the reason why he's doing that, he's preaching, he's warning, he's teaching. There, there, see, there's a reason for that. Uh, I told you, this, but what is the purpose behind teaching? Is something to do? The purpose behind teaching is impartation. That's, that's why this takes place. That's why the Lord has ordained ministers of the gospel that have, are supposed to have something 
for the purpose of impartation. So in verse 28, Him, meaning Christ, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, uh, mature, that they would have these inner virtues within. That's the purpose behind it. And by the way, this phrase here, we may present, is a subjunctive mood verb, which means it's in the realm of possibility. It's not necessarily a sure thing. So Paul taught the churches. Paul gave to the churches. He poured out his heart to the churches, uh, preaching, teaching, and so forth, for the purpose that he might bring them on to maturity. Now, of course, that is the desire of God. We see that as the desire of Paul. But that does not necessarily mean that will occur with every Christian. There are certain things that must take place in the heart and life of a Christian for the Lord to bring them to maturity. Just being saved is not enough. Not enough. It'll, it's enough to get you to heaven. But as far as development of the character of Christ and the different virtues that he wants within us, there are more things that come to bear than just receiving Jesus Christ initially. Now, I want to uh, look at some scriptures here. To reach this maturity or character, I just have a few things here I wanted to just show you. And of course, this is not all-inclusive. There's other things we could bring into the picture, but four of them's enough. So let's go to Matthew 6. Now, where we started with Matthew 5 is dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, chapter 5, 6, and I believe 7 are, are all dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. And many times we will go and we will take one verse out of there and the Lord can show us something and develop a truth. But... If you look at some, sometimes you look at that as a whole, you can see something that the Lord's saying, and then as you go down further, he's actually saying something different in the context, but it's related to what he said before. And that's how the Bible, you know, works in many places. But I want to show you this, this verse. Now, um, let me see. Chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they lo love to stand, uh, to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners uh, um, and so forth. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your, your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your uh, Father who is in the secret place will reward you openly. So he's saying here that the hypocrites go out and the, they're doing things to put on a show. They want to be seen of men. And, and of course... That happens today in Christianity. But I want to show you one verse. We all know this verse, verse 9, where Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, pray. And that's where I want to stop, because this is what we consider the Lord's Prayer. And, of course, we could go down and, and list different things he says there. But I want to just stop with that part of the verse, where he says, In this manner, therefore, pray. The word, Greek word pray that we're seeing here in English <clears throat> translated by the English word pray, is prosukamai. And if you would look that up in Strong's or Thayer's or uh, some of the meanings you see in some of the other lexicons, you will see that the word means to pray to God. 
and of course, that's, that's true. But I'll say the word again because we've been dealing with prepositions over the last couple months. Prosukamai, the word pros, P-R-O-S in the front of that, that's a combination of two Greek words. P-R-O-S, who can tell me what that means? Did anybody take any notes? Pros means, I wasn't going to write this down, but I'll, I'll just do this real quick. You, you remember. Pros means toward. See, so now this is telling me something about this word. Let's read the verse. In this manner, therefore, pray. So in another portion of scripture, it says that we are to, to pray continually. Pray without ceasing. So how are you going to do that when you're at work and you're you know, doing your job and your mind's on that? So it's not talking about that. It's talking about the inner poise of the heart. That's what prayer is. Pros, it's toward. In this manner, be toward. And actually, the other word means to wish or desire. But there is a poise of the heart in prayer, or put it this way, there is a poise of the heart that is to be in the Christian toward the Lord, not what he is going to do or has done for us, but toward him alone, toward his person, to where now your heart is set in that manner, in that manner, that's what's to happen. In that manner, be toward him, pray. Now, if your heart, my heart, is toward the Lord continually, then the Lord will work and do things in our life that will bring about, over a period of time, a development, if you will, or will bring us toward this place of maturity, perfection, that he so desires. Without the heart being poised toward the Lord, that cannot occur because we will have our hearts poised toward some object, some other person, uh, toward something in the world. It could be anything. So first and foremost, our heart must have as its direction the Lord. We, we must be... Uh, we have to have that particular thing there in us. Now, that's nothing that I can teach you. See, you have to go to the Lord, and, and he has to do that in you, where in every situation, your heart is toward him. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if things are going well, in your estimation, or if things are not going well, that's beside the point. The point being, is your heart, is my heart, poised toward the Lord? And you can actually keep an eye on that. You can actually see that. The Lord can reveal that to you. Very, very important. Now go to Matthew 6. Now we're still in here dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. There's something else that he says here. And as I said, this also relates 
to bring, being brought to maturity. In verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye, in the King James it says single, which is a good, good translation. In the New King James it says good. Therefore, if your eye is good, and what, what he's saying here is if your eye is pure or if your eye is clear, in other words, it's the way it is to be, okay, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil or your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So the word good here, as I said, means pure or it means uh, being healthy, healthy. See, is, is my spiritual vision healthy? See, we go every couple years to the eye doctor, and, you know, we can tell sometimes when our, our vision isn't what it should be. We pick up something, we read it, and it's not, it's, it's almost a strain to read the verses. And we know in, in the physical that our eyes may need checked. But is my eye clear? Is my eye healthy spiritually? Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. This one verse here, look in chapter 7, verse 5, or, or verse 3. And why do you look, this is talking about uh, judging, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? So he's saying here that we as Christians can have unhealthy vision. We can allow something there in our eye that causes our eye to be bad, as he just said here in, in chapter 6. Or we can allow the Lord, who is the great physician, the surgeon, to remove something from our eye that should not be there. Look at verse 5. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from thine own eye. See, that's, there's a surrender to him, and the Lord does it. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He doesn't say don't remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, we always take the verse, don't judge, um, don't judge lest ye be judged. Well, look at verse 5. He says, first remove the plank from your own eye, then, 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 then you will be able to see, see clearly. You will have the healthy vision that the Lord says, now with this type of vision, you will be full of light. You'll be able to see things. You'll be able to see clearly, purely in the situation, and things will be correct. So if people move their vision away from the Lord to the world, to the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and all that. Then what happens is that which was clear now becomes tainted, or the eye that was good now becomes bad. And this occurs on an individual basis. It doesn't matter if the person's a Christian. Jesus here doesn't say, I'm only speaking to the world. He's speaking to, to anyone. 
to anyone. It doesn't matter who you are. And he says these things, you know, they'll, they'll happen to whoever. Just because we're a Christian doesn't mean they're not going to happen to us. So this is something that the Lord must show us and teach us. And he must keep our vision correct. See, now, if I'm walking around and I see every single thing that everybody's doing in the church and I'm critical of everybody and everything and so on, then that's telling me something's wrong inside of me. And, And I'm telling you this happens in Christian churches. I've seen it happen many times. But the Lord wants to do something to change that so that the vision that the Christian has becomes more and more and more like the Lord. Just like it says in Isaiah, where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. But that does not mean that the Lord does not want our thoughts like his, or our ways to become like his. See, we take it right away and we say, of course my thoughts are not like his, because the word says, and they'll never be. That's not true. If you have been a Christian for a period of time, and you have been walking with the Lord, and you have allowed Him to work in your life, and there has been a surrender to Him, then there should have been a work done in you so that now your thinking has been changed. My thinking has been changed radically over the years. Radically. For the good, by the way. And my ways have changed. My ways are gone. You know, I don't move in my ways. There's no value in that. So the Lord is looking for something, you see. And for for him to bring us on to perfection, to maturity, certain things must be intact in us. Two of them we just saw. One being that our eye must be single. Our eye must be good. It must be healthy. It must be what he wants, and we must start to see as he sees. Now, that's saying a mouthful, because I know very well that there are times when I do not see as the Lord sees, but it is my desire to see as he sees, not only you know, in the church or in certain situations, but to see as he sees me. That, that's quite, I believe a work of the Spirit to be able to see in various areas, including our own life, our own heart. And I I tell you, the Lord has His hands full. The Holy Spirit has His hands full with us. You know, to do what He's after takes a lifetime. And, you know, some Christians, they seem to think that Time is not an important commodity, but it it is. I'm moving toward the end of my life. And so I need to be even more today, uh, you know, as far as my heart being in the work with the Lord, what he wants to do. I need to be closer with him in that than ever before. Rather than, you know, becoming lax. Oh, well, I'll retire. (laughs) And that's the end of it. Well, I knew a long time ago that it was not going to be the end. It was going to be a beginning. 
It depends on how we see things, you see. Now, in uh, Matthew 7, 21, here again, it shows you here that the vision, when he, when he says these things here in these few verses, it's showing you that the vision that some people had were not what the Lord wanted or what the Lord was seeing. In verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Well, that prophes prophesying is good. And cast out demons in your name, that's good. And done many wonderful works in your name. Well, that all seems to be good. But the key here is in verse 21, but he who does the will of my Father. You know, are we able to see the Lord today as far as his will for our life? See, see that there is paramount because if we don't, we can be off doing all these other things that may appear on the surface to be good, and, and they are as far as benefiting others, but as far as personally benefiting us, that may not be the case if we're not moving and functioning in the will of God. And that can be applied to any works, any works. You must know that the Lord is, is leading you to do that. See, so that there's a dual benefit for others and that there is a development in you. So getting back to these verses here, verse 21, 22, verse 24, therefore, oh no, verse 23, then I will declare, or I'll, I'll respond uh, to them, I never knew you, I never knew you, depart from me, and he doesn't mean, he, he, he's not saying they aren't Christians, by the way, he's saying, I never knew you in what you were doing, because see, that was not my will for you. So to me, that, that tells me and shows me that I need to walk with God. So if everybody says, well, this is the will of God, and let's go do this, that, and the other thing, I need to know from him whether that is the work or the works I am to be involved with, or whether I am to be involved or moving in another way. And I, I believe that many times with Christians, that's the case. They just go ahead and they do things, and it benefits other people, but as far as a benefit to them spiritually, the development, the maturity, and all that, it doesn't occur because they went and they decided in their mind to move in some particular thing or some work or whatever it may be, instead of waiting for the Lord to really show them what, what it is they need to do. Okay, let's move to Matthew 19. So the Lord is interested in you and I as far as our spiritual development. He wants us to mature. Uh, we saw that in Matthew 5. Jesus was interested in that. Paul had that upon his heart in Colossians. And this thing here, you see Jesus dealing with this man. He is interested in the same thing. In Matthew 19, verse 21. 
Now this is the, the rich young ruler. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect. Now I've heard someone not too long ago say, say this, I'll quote, there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. And if we, as I said, if we take the English definition of the word uh, to be without fault or shortcomings, that means that that is true. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian because we all have faults and shortcomings. But, but the Greek meaning of the word teleos, uh, well, means complete or maturity. It's talking about to grow up and to mature. Why would Jesus say this to this man, if thou wilt will be perfect, if it was not possible? See, he says it because he's not talking about the man's shortcomings and faults. He's talking about the man's development, his lack of maturity, is being brought on further you know, in, in God. And so he says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And basically... I'll say that, that this is something that we have all had to deal with somewhere along our, our life. And especially being a Christian, when we come in to the kingdom initially, the Lord begins to show us things about our heart and our life over a period of time. And one of the things that he always has to deal with, I believe, with every single one of us, and has been successful with some much more than others, is this thought of being attached to things. The rich young ruler was attached to his riches. It wasn't, the riches was not the issue. Abraham was rich, Job was rich, and, and Solomon was rich. That was not the issue. The issue is always back to the heart of man, what we are attached to. And it doesn't mean just because we've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, or 30 years that we still can't be attached to things. If we are attached to anything, even our family and our spouse, more than being attached to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is out of order. And the Lord will work to reveal that and to correct that. So that as we continue on and we develop and mature as Christians, we should not be attached to things. See, as far as I can see, the true mature Christian is attached to nothing. And that will take, I believe, a work of the Spirit in our lives to bring us there. We can be attached to the stupidest things. <laughs> little, little things we can be attached to. Well, you know, I love my water bottle. Don't touch my water bottle. Don't anybody use my water bottle. Now, that's kind of a silly illustration. But our attachment can be 
to anything. It doesn't matter what it is. The point is, is our heart attached to it? Jesus always gets to the bottom of things, always. We, you know, have all this stuff floating around here up on the surface, and we see this, and we look at it. We think this is the problem, that's the problem, you know. And, and the Lord comes, and you right down under that, and he sees the root of the problem. And you see in the scriptures, when Jesus deals with different people, he doesn't always deal with them uh, the same way, but he always gets to the bottom of things, and he gets down to the root. And he sees this man is attached to his riches. So if you or I are attached to anything, more than we are attached to the Lord, maybe that's not even the best way to say it, Maybe I should say it this way. We are to be attached to the Lord and unattached to everything else. Everything else is secondary and doesn't matter. If we are to develop in the correct way, in the way the Lord desires, then all these things must go. They must go. You know, my house is not my house. And, and actually... The Lord has done that years ago where our house has always been open and you can ask certain people and they know that there has been an inflow into our home of people and in and out constantly over the years I've owned that home. And when I bought that home, I knew it was the Lord and I knew what the Lord wanted and I said, Lord, grace me to open my home even when I don't want to because there were times... When I've gone home from church and I've said to Linda, I said, I just want to go home and just sit down and rest and relax. And I no sooner do it, and there's eight people walk in the door. And, and that's the way the Lord, if you want to give something to the Lord, you give it to him. He'll use it. Don't be attached to it. And I could, I could give up that home in a minute. It doesn't really mean anything to me. The only thing it means to me is that the Lord... Has it been a place that the Lord has uh, used to bring people together? But see, if, if my heart is attached to that thing, then it never functions the way it's supposed to. Let's go to Romans in, in closing. You know, you read the Bible and you see the words of Jesus. And, and Jesus just comes out and he just makes these statements. Paul comes out and he makes these statements and he doesn't really explain certain things. And our knowing exactly what's going on in the verse can be beneficial, but we don't necessarily need to see the results before we actually believe and, and receive it and, and you know, take it into our heart. We don't need to see the results. We just need to trust the Lord that, that he will do what he says he will do. And then the result of meeting the conditions in the verse will be brought out in the course of time. In uh, chapter 12 of Romans, and we all know these verses, you know, if, if we are to 
continue on and we are to develop and mature and be brought to maturity by the Lord. We cannot, cannot, cannot be conformed to this world. This world is becoming worse and worse. The evil that is in the world is penetrating every aspect of living anymore. It's, it's almost like putting a paper towel down on the counter and pouring water on it, and it's just saturated. Well, that, that's the world system. It's, it's saturating everything. And you and I, as Christians, we need the Lord. We need him to show us the way we are to walk. And we need to, to have him show us what is of the world. And that sounds kind of strange because we all think we know what is of the world. The Lord must show us daily what's going on as far as that are, the things around us. But anyway, in um, verse 2, And do not, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And that, that word there, by the way, is a form of the word metamorphosis. So, you know, if you've been a Christian some time, you have, should have had a metamorphosis. <laughs> you know, being brought in initially... And now, 10 years later, there should be quite a difference than when you first became a Christian. And you know, it's really strange. Uh, I, I remember some years ago being around an individual, and they had been a Christian for quite some time, many, many years. But the development in Christ, the maturity in Christ, was not there. And as I said earlier, just because a person accepts Christ is not the end of the matter, that's the beginning of the matter. Because a person is birthed from above, that's good. But now comes this process, desire the sincere, the unpolluted milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. See, there has to be growth in order for us to come into this fullness, this completeness, this maturity, this perfection that the Lord uh, has throughout the New Testament talks about. So there must be a transformation, but see, you and I cannot in and of ourselves determine that. See, all we can do is surrender to the Lord. We can surrender to Him, surrender to His will, walk with Him, and allow this slow transformation to take place. And, and it's quite something to see it, even a little bit of it. Sometimes other people see more than we do as far as us, but still, you should know that you are further along hopefully, than you were 10 years ago. 
So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it is beneficial for us and it behooves us to walk close to the Lord, having our heart, as I said the word prayer, prosukamai, having our poise of our heart toward the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one and he is the only one that can bring us from a place of immaturity in the Lord to a place of development, maturity, and a completeness that he so desires in every Christian's life. So that when we come to the end of our life, whether you know, we lived as a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years, when we come to the end of that, we would have been brought to a place by the Lord that we could have never, ever, ever come to apart from Him. And have a heart that knows that it was a work of the Spirit of God and not of me. And I'll leave you with that, and we'll probably continue with this next week. Remember that the Lord wants to bring you on further than you are today.